Welcome back to the Rambling Preacher Podcast. My name is Jesse and I'm your host. Glad to be back just a couple days after finishing up the miniature two-part series or ramblings on cessationism. But we have a good one for you today. Um, Before I get too ahead of myself, Shane, my friend, once again, how are you? So good, man. (laughs) How about you? Good. We talk often, so this is really just for them to hear that we're both good and we're still friends. Uh, we, we continue to be generation after generation, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> well, I added a question. Just I want to start adding this to any time I talk with anybody on anything. Um, but what is the Lord doing in your life at the moment? Well, I mean, this week, honestly, has been tough. Like, I think, you know, as we're preparing to move, I think... Um, you kind of get stuck in like what's what's ahead instead of kind of getting you know remembering what's important here you know and so my wife and I were reading Jeremiah 29 this morning we've been going through Jeremiah together and uh, that um, you know the verse that people use out of context sure. all the time in front of the plans <laughs> you know have for you says the Lord um, but like reading it in context today was really good like not to feel like I'm I'm feeling like I'm in exile right now because sure. I'm certainly not. But um, like just the reminder in that that the Lord was telling them, you know, build your home, plant gardens, like be in a space where, you know, you're living like my wife and I are trying to do that the best we can for for ourselves, for our kids and and know that um, our time here for the next couple months still matters before we do move to Minnesota. And, you know, he's preparing us uh, for for that space and what's ahead. So, um, yeah, continuing trying to look forward and ahead, um, but still trying to be present in this space. That's where I kind of find myself. Sure. And I think you're doing a good job of that. I mean, you're very involved with this community here, and you're doing a lot with me and, and for my church with the uh, Adam Loves Eve series. And yeah, I've been loving that. Yeah, it's just it's been a blessing to be this close to you. And I people always ask me like, how are you doing with the Shane news? And you know, I when I first found out we weren't working together, and I was really sad. But I was like, that is super exciting for him because it seems right. And I remember telling you when I was praying about kind of your situation, I just felt like the Lord, you know, impressed upon my heart. Um, I'm doing something with Shane. Like I have something for Shane. And I didn't know what that was. In my mind, I did think, I wonder if Shane will start a church. Like even though you're not really like in my mind like a pastor, but even though you really could, you've got a shepherd's heart, you're a teacher, you've got all the X's and O's to, to cross it off. But I was like, I wonder if that's what it is. So when you pulled me aside and told me like, we're going to move, I was like, this is it. This you know, He's going to do yeah. missionary work within the States and... And God has a plan for him, and you know. And so to watch you work out this year, and and I tell my friends, I'm like, this is, it's really bittersweet because I'm closer to you now than ever. Sure. Which makes probably you leaving harder than it would have been if not. You know, Um, I think it would have been hard either way. But yeah, now I'm closer to you, and the idea of working here next year without you is like really making me sad because I'm like. It's um, <laughs> it's, it's going to be different, you know? And I feel yeah. like I'm going out to Minnesota without that safety net, like I have my wife's family or, or whatnot. And sure. there's been some, some news of some families here locally that are moving out to Minnesota too. Wow. And so, okay. yeah, we are praying through like what church will look like if it is um, house church. My wife and I have been praying through that together yeah. um, and looking at, you know, some, some services there and connecting with some family there and what they've been doing for church. So, yeah, I'm just open to the possibilities, you know, on how how the Lord wants to continue to, to serve, you know, that state and how I can continue to you know, serve and, and shepherd people, you know, from afar, you know? Yeah. 
And if you turn into a slightly charismatic Dale Partridge, I would not be mad. <laughs> that would be, that'd be an honor. <laughs> well, we are here. We're wanting to get started. Two small things before I get into the discussion today. Um, the music it comes from Thief to King. He was nice enough to let me use it for free, and he owns all the rights. And So anyway, if you don't know who Thief to King is, I connected with him at G3. He's a wonderful guy, um, worship pastor at his local church, and then he produces music. He should have a new album out sometime this year. Um, but if you don't, follow his Instagram. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to any of his music on Spotify or Apple, I just do that. Um, I want him to at least have one or two new listeners because of this podcast, even if if that's all. It would be beneficial to build his ministry and what he's doing because he puts out fantastic um, production, quality, high-quality content, um, and fantastic lyrics and, and music considering he's doing it by himself. And so he's a he's an awesome friend, um, great brother in Christ, recommend his music thoroughly. And then also, if you are willing, and if you haven't yet, consider leaving a review or a five-star or four-star if you have to. And uh, I just think it will carry a long way uh, as far as having those there. So anyway, we get into what we're officially discussing, um, and we're having a conversation on dance and if we can defend it biblically. So a quick run through the outline. Um, I want to have a quick Q&A on Shane's experience with leading worship. I think he's led worship in several type of denominational settings, and so we want to walk through that. Uh, we will quickly discuss regulative principle of worship versus the normative. Uh, nothing crazy there, just a quick conversation. And then we want to, obviously, I think anyone listening to this knows, okay, what are they going to say about David and the Ark of the Covenant? We will talk about that. We're going to talk about some positive examples of dance in the scriptures. We are going to talk about um, some negative examples and then kind of end with a conclusion um, and maybe a challenge. We'll see if we can think of one when we get there, but that's it. So my question for Shane to start is, you've served the church as a worship leader throughout your life. Tell us for a moment your introduction to this, how and why you crafted this skill and what worship ultimately means to you. Cool. Well, I think, you know, how and why I've crafted that skill. I mean, we, we can, I can certainly give the glory to God for that. Um, you know, as, as, as far back as I can think for myself and just knowing like my, the generations of my family, like music has been something that has been instilled uh, for over a hundred years in my family. Wow. Um, my great-grandfather was a part of big band music in the 30s and 40s and traveled the United States um, and Mexico uh, doing that. And so I think from that space, right, like it's, it's been like kind of a legacy thing, right? Um, he, he died six months before I was born of a heart attack. Um, and that's constantly like what I have in my head, I think, when I'm, I'm doing music, like not not that I have to live up to that legacy or anything like that, but like um, the Lord has pressed upon that from my family for a long time. And sure. so, you know, I mean, it was just natural, you know, coming in from, you know, my my father, you know, his his grandson and uh, my dad's an amazing pianist. My mom's a music teacher and has a you know killer voice. And so you know that that's that's how I learned to talk. I mean, it was through like singing. I mean, my yeah. parents. I, I go to bed at night and I hear my mom and dad you know 
playing the piano, the guitar, singing. Like, that's just what it was, you know. So, um, you know, it's just been kind of ingrained in, in what I do. In terms of worship, like, that's that's what we did, you know. It was kind of the Reinhardts, you know, up on stage, all four of us, you know, doing, you know, the different harmonies and, and, yeah. and leading that. And, and that's what we would that's what we do. And so I think, you know, growing up in the Methodist faith, right, we were, we were constantly involved in that. So I grew up with hymns, you know, and, um, you know, not only stuff that, uh, of course, you know, with John Wesley being the founder, his brother Charles, you know, yeah. wrote uh, a, a, a lot of hymnals, uh, yes. h- hymns, <laughs> right, in hymnals. So yeah. um, definitely did a lot of stuff, you know, in the Methodist tradition, but also stuff outside of that. Um, contemporary stuff, I mean, I kind of remember it in the, you know, late 90s was when we kind of started embarking on that in churches that I remember, um, especially here when we moved to Utah, right? But, you know, the conversation about moving to a drum set, right? Like, <laughs> sure. I mean, I got I got stories, right, from, from you know, just, just like seeing people's reactions on what worship should look like. So, um, you know, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, that, that space, I think, you know, it's led me to some other spaces that I've led worship, um, you know, InterVarsity, very uh, kind of open to a lot of different kind of views of worship, yeah. um, you know, being at a Assemblies of God church currently. I mean, that certainly has some different um perspectives of worship but i think ultimately you know what worship means to me you know there's there's a lot i think to unpack for for each person but i think it's important um no matter if i'm worshiping in the congregation or if i'm up front um that the lord is sovereign right and and everything that um i give um if it's worshiping (laughs) up on a stage or not is is to the lord Um, and it's not because I, um, (laughs) you know, I can't, I can't live up to any of the things, right? I mean, his son died for me and that's, that's, that's the best gift that I can give. And I'm just trying to give back my love and admiration to the Lord. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we bring the Lord joy and I mean, that's such a, that's such a blessing, you know, to be a part of. So, um, that's where I have to kind of find myself when it yeah. comes to what worship, you know, what worship means and where we have to keep our center. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah, living a lifestyle under the Lord, which is pleasing to him, right? And uh, and I think you do that. And, you know, your brother, too, he's, uh, he's a fantastic worship leader as well. And so you've kind of got this little posse just even between you and your brother. You guys could, you know, put out some fantastic music. I've always jokingly thought, I'm like, I wonder if Shane and his brother should become the new Shane and Shane. It would be Shane and Scott. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you guys just write music and put out music together. And I know Shane and Shane aren't, they aren't brothers, right? They just have the same name. Right. But, yeah, you know, you'd be the Scott and Shane or Shane and Scott. s and And, you know, I mean, <laughs> to Scott's credit, I mean, Scott Scott is a very technical musician. Like, yes. Scott, Scott knows the ins and outs of things and how to make things, you know, sound good. And so the fun thing about always partnering with him, you know, like I get to do again this Sunday, which is fun, is that, um, you know, he, he always has my back when there's stuff that, you know, he knows that will sound better or yeah. how to get it to that space. But um, you know, we just have a trust there, you know, when it comes to 
to to worshiping together. And and I think, you know, maybe that's something else as a subset. Like I think when it comes to worship, right, you're, you're worshiping as a body a lot of times. I mean, sometimes you can worship on your own, of course, right? You have the opportunity to worship, you know, your whole life is, is worship, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's important, right, when we are in a, a body together that, um, you know, we're, we're worshiping God together. And so we're all together in this kind of, um, movement of music and scripture and, and, and what that space looks like. And, and there's a trust there, right? There's a, a family there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I look in, in church now sometimes and I'm like, man, with COVID and everything, like, I don't know this person, right? Yeah. Like, I don't actually like this, this whole, like, all these new people in here, like, and, and trying to rebuild that and try to connect and know, like, okay, worship is what's going to bring us together, right? Is is something that I have to keep on the forefront of my mind too. Like we're we're uh, yeah, kind of regulating the body and, and like uh, re-energizing, I guess, with so much transition. I mean, was it you that was telling me it was uh, Matt Chandler, right? Like a third of the church, yeah. right, is like is like leaving, right? A third is staying, and a third is like. We'll stay home. Right. I mean, so we're like in this like interesting phase of worship, I think, right now, too, and how people are gathering that. Yeah, there's a lot of tribalism within the church right now. And I think there's even tribalism with like, oh, you worship like me. You like the scriptures read like I do. Yeah. You like hymns like I do. You know, we start to segregate our church um, based on age and what you prefer Mm -hmm. rather than allowing it to be diverse and and bringing in like i i do want our church to be a church that sings a couple hymns you know a couple classical songs and then some contemporary music that i think we want to write ourselves that's uh doctrinally sound and biblically based um and yeah we're we are a church with drums right like Mm -hmm. and as a continuous continuationist church um i remember growing up you know more pentecostal and all you needed for worship in a Pentecostal church was drums and people running around and praying, <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, yeah. and and they could worship like that. Versus you know what I didn't grow up with, which you grew up with hymns at least earlier on in the Methodist faith, but I didn't grow up with hymns, so I just remember my uncle and my mother and my grandparents talking about oh the good old Baptist days when we used to sing from hymns. We miss some of those mu- those songs and. And they would do them as specials sometimes. And I'm like, I don't know this song. And then for me to finally get more and more exposed to classic hymns, you know, written by like Wesley or written by some of these fantastic um, authors, truly. Mm-hmm. I mean, just what they write is yeah. beautiful. And to come to this place of like, wow, that stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Let's incorporate that. Yeah. And yeah, maybe let's still do some things that are biblically true and, and fantastic new songs yeah unto the lord and so it's it's uh it's definitely interesting i that's part of the reason i like conversing with you on this because you know you were methodist and then you kind of opened up to more of university and you know a little more of the charismatic stuff and and i was kind of the opposite i grew up super pentecostal i I actually when i think about it i'm like i grew up more pentecostal than i did like the typical quote-unquote charismatic yeah like technically I mean, it depends. We merged with a Pentecostal Church of God church, and we became a part of that denomination, PCG. And so, yeah, I grew up Pentecostal, and actually, like, uh, their bishop, which he's just kind of their overarching pastor of the region, I still have a great relationship with him, um, and he is just like a classical Pentecostal guy, and he is just like 
full of love, full of mm-hmm. full of grace, full of kindness. He's raised really solid children. Like they love the Lord. Mm-hmm. His son is a pastor. His daughter is a worship leader, and she does a lot of stuff for youth ministry and and even more than that now. And you know to. Where I am now, where I'm kind of more in this reformed, charismatic space, and uh, still having ties to my old, and yearning, you know, I'm yearning for kind of more of the reform side at times. Yeah. Where it's like, man, I would love to just have one service where we did nothing but sing out of hymnals. Mm-hmm. But the church I'm pastoring, I don't think we could do that. Like, we don't know that music as well, and yeah. I think it would go really badly like it would go poorly um not because i don't think our church would try but i think because our church would be like we don't know this it's hard to worship to this you know and it's a transition but i don't want to transition out of you know some of the things that i think the normative charismatic space has brought into the light um and so anyway with that let's let's kind of jump into this regulative versus normative um principles of worship if you haven't heard that yet um that's okay it's just usually it's kind of like the Calvinism Arminianism thing I found, um, and what I mean by that is usually Calvinists are like, "Oh, you're Arminian because you don't you haven't actually studied it, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because once you study it, you'll be a Calvinist." And I think people do that with the regulative too. They're like, "Oh, you're normative because you actually haven't studied it. Once you've studied it, you'll be regulative." And I don't think that's really fair because I know people that are still on the fence, or they're more regulative's nice, but you have to at least loosen up for some things. Here we are 2,000 years later. And so essentially regulative defined, and I actually saw it from more than Vodi Bakum, but this is the Vodi Bakum description, is God has prescribed the ways he is to be worshipped, and you must worship him in those ways and those ways only. And that's the thing. I think normative would agree that God has prescribed the ways he is to be worshipped, and we must worship him in those ways. But the regulative adds the and only in those ways, whereas normative would say, well, there's other ways we could continue to worship him um, in spirit and in truth, like adding a guitar, like adding a bass, like adding the drums, right? Um, so, and, and you build a lot of this theology in the Corinthians and some of the epistles, uh, namely Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 11, Colossians 2. You see some things in Exodus and, and different ways to worship God. And it's kind of riddled throughout Scripture and what's old and what's new and what transitions through both. And um, So, I mean, I will agree with the regulative principle. They do their diligence and they do know why they do, where they can defend it biblically, uh, and, and they don't do anything beyond that, right? And I, I can respect that. And my appreciation for it is it's truly based on God-centered values. There's no courtesy to... Um, being seeker sensitive or wanting to appease man-made values, it does eliminate worldliness. You know, you're not going to have worldly systems infiltrating a regulative principle uh, worship, right? You're not going to have worldly systems. Um, they follow these direct prescriptions. I do think like TVs and microphones. I think those are strawmen. Uh, regulative principle can kind of jump over those easier because. Uh, it's not really what it's about. It's about how we worship, not what we worship, um, what tools we use to worship in a sense. And so using a microphone, because there are some people that say, well, regulative, there's nothing about microphones, so you shouldn't use a microphone, right? I think those are strong. And my, my biggest frustration, though, is I do agree that like corporate worship is huge. I think it's so important. Um, I do believe Christians should be involved in some form of corporate worship, ideally weekly, um, hopefully on you know a Sunday or whatever. Um, but it, it does really, in my estimate, it falls short in 
um, personal worship because you can't adhere to a lot of regulative principles uh, in individual worship, right? You're not going to exposit the word. You're not going to take the Lord's Supper on your own. Um, at least these these people would definitely say you can't. Um, and so I think it often tends to also lead into legalism and a, following a strict set of rules rather than... Um, you know, being free, following your convictions, and worshiping the Lord, um, not in dishonoring ways, because I do believe that's the problem is it, with the normative, is it can lead into dishonoring ways of worship. Like we end up worshiping God in ways that dishonor Him. So I do appreciate that, you know, they're focused solely on bringing honor to God, but I also think it's a little too rigid at times. Um, and so, bottom line for me, kind of on this, is that if you're well-studied and you're fully endorsing the regulative principle of worship, this conversation probably won't be too beneficial to you because we're not going to get deep enough into that normative versus regulative and convince you otherwise. And if you're part of uh, the regulative worship principle, principle of worship, then you probably don't endorse dancing at all, right? And so, uh, or if you do, it's very specific situations, which I think we'll get there, and I think we're not going to disagree with that. Um, I did want to read from the Second London Baptist Confession, 69, um, and this is where a lot of people get the regulative as well, especially, I, I mean, I love 1689. The acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will, right? So it's limited by his real, revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. All right, and so that is, I think, probably one of the better definitions of regulative principle of worship. Um, and whereas normative essentially agrees, but if it's not expressly forbidden, then it's permissible, um, as long as you're yielding to the Holy Spirit and yielding to... Um, you know, the church, ultimately. So I, I, something I thought of is like rap music. I, I recently saw an Instagram thing where somebody posted, we can't worship God in this way. And they were condemning Christian rap music. And that caused a whole scene of commentary between people de debating regulative and normative forms of worship. But I'll be honest, I, th I think, you know, getting so nitpicky that we can't worship the Lord in rap music. Um, see, that's where I think it gets a little legalistic. Uh, maybe I could be convinced otherwise, but right now I'm not. Um, anyway, I do my, my concerns with normative is you could become seeker sensitive, pragmatic in your approaches. Uh, so you just have to keep all of these things in mind and approach worship knowing both sides and kind of being somewhere once again in the middle um, is where I would land. Uh, and the verse or the Bible verse I'll read real quick before we get into David that a lot of people might reference in reference to this debate is Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to, to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns thing, concern things which perish with, use, with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have a, an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed or self-willed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And I read that because we know that worship is um, a living sacrifice. And so to kill off the indulgence of the flesh, it's saying that homemade personal asceticism and uh, choosing to uh, fast and, and 
follow the rules of do's and don'ts is not actually going to get you very far. So anyway, I rambled a lot on that just because I felt like it was appropriate to talk about real quickly. Let's get into David and the Ark of the Covenant as our first example in Scripture. So Shane, uh, either you can read it or kind of just talk about it. I'll leave that kind of in your court as we discuss this. Sure. Well, you know, in 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 16, right, it talks about David dancing before the Lord uh, with everything that he had. Um, and David was wearing a, a linen, right? And yep. um, David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of horns, right? Um, but then, you know, as we continue to see it, right, we've got... Um, Michael, right, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and sees King David leaping and dancing, right? And I think, you know, in this context of it, when we see it in the Hebrew, right, I mean, that's the direct interpretation of dancing, right? That it's actually um, the jumping up and down with joy. And we see that with with David here, but she is certainly not um, in favor of it, right? It says she despised him in uh, in, in her heart. Um, and then David comes back um, almost with, like, correction, right? Yeah. I mean, it was like, he's like, I'm, I'm celebrating before the Lord. Like, and, like, it's, this is this is the place to do it, right? This is the, the place to be. Um, and then ultimately, right, she has no children from that. I mean, I think yeah. what you were talking about earlier, I mean, is an important piece to kind of, place into that about the commentary that you read (laughs) yeah right um yeah that either either the lord cursed her or that david intentionally withheld himself from her to ensure that saul's lineage was cut off (laughs) and so that's interesting right and uh yeah i I think the fact that michael and and i think the thing that i want to point out and i know shane already mentioned like the leaping and the positive example of that found in scripture Mm -hmm. in the original languages um i jokingly told my friend uh jared i told him i was like i'm going to talk about you in this next podcast he's like oh really and he's like why and i said because he's a huge kansas city chiefs fan and we watched the buffalo bills game together and that game the end of that game was fantastic it was back and forth crazy offensive work and uh, there was one when, the, when Tyreek Hill bursted by and scored his touchdown. He jumped up on the couch and was like, yes, 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 and starts raising his hands. And I'm like, I've never done that for a football game, like personally. And he jumps up on his couch and he's rejoicing that the Chiefs are going to likely, it looks like, win this game and move on in the playoffs. And he's rejoicing by jumping up on the couch and raising his arms and shouting, And I told him, I said, that's the example of a positive demonstration when there's a momentous moment that occurs and you're celebrating it. Um, And anyway, I just talk about that because that's what happens here with the Ark of the Covenant. David wanted it. He left it be and he regretted it and he, you know, brought it in. And I don't want to get too back into the context of this, but most of you guys should know he brought it in and he this is a momentous moment in history. It is being described rather than prescribed and that's why regulative normative or regular regulative principles of worship wouldn't endorse this as a reason to dance in church because it's not prescribing that god's people worship in dance in church right but it's describing a momentous moment in history 
where the Ark of the Covenant, the manifest presence of God, was brought into um, David's city of desire. And he was rejoicing over this, and it's a momentous moment, and he was excited, right? Uh, what else do you have on that? I mean, that was me rambling for a minute. What else do you see in this? Well, I think, and that's also the, the conflict, I think, between how we celebrate things in the 21st century and how we should celebrate in worship. Right, like I hear, I hear this this conversation a lot. Where that same example, like we see people at football games or at basketball yeah. games or at sporting events or whatever, like having this this serious, you know, outburst right of joy, and we get into worship and let's cross our arms and and just kind of you know like watch what's going on up at stage, you know, and that's kind of kind of it. And I think the challenge is like. Not everyone's going to worship the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about a mentor of mine and my wife's. His name's David Peaty. He's a um, director of worship at Bloomfield College in Virginia, and he started a school in Canada. He was at North Central University in Minnesota. Like he has decades of experience in worship, mm-hmm. and he told me once that. Um, based on what he had studied in his research, that he thought about 30% of people naturally gravitate to musical worship. Sure. Um, and he thought the percentages trickle even further less when it comes to dancing, less, um, in terms of how you engage with things. Like music was like, you know, an important thing, and that's where he kind of falls, of course. But like, um, you know, there are other avenues, right, of worship with prayer and with scripture and yeah. with testimony and with you know, uh, the sermon or whatever. And I think like, it's important to remember too, that, um, not everyone is maybe going to engage in that way. Um, and I guess that would be more of a, um, perspective of, I don't know, maybe some people feel conflicted by that, by seeing themselves like outbursting, you know, in a a sporting event and then not able to do that in worship. Like, what do you love more? Do you love your team or do you love the Lord? Um, and that's the, the conflict that I think some people throw out there. Um, but at the same time, like, I think, you know, in this, like this, this to me, and I I don't have any like biblical background, I think to thing it, but this seems pretty like out of the blue for David, right? Like, I don't feel like this comes off. Like, I'm not saying that David, I mean, David wrote music and I think praise the Lord, but like, this is a pretty, like pretty intense Example, I think for yeah. David, right, to even do that, and maybe Michael's kind of onto something. Like, you don't really do this, David. Like, so, so maybe her kind of like coming at him, like saying, like, you know, this isn't normally your character, right? Maybe comes off to some things that we can connect with too. Like, I think, and what we kind of think sometimes, like, oh man, this person never does that, and they're yeah. like dancing like this. Like, is it real? Is it fake? Like then we have these like conversations about people's hearts. Right. And are they really intending it for the Lord or not? So that's some of the stuff I think of there. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, especially because we read in the next verse, like she looked at, um, Saul or King David leaping and dance before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Um, and then he essentially comes up and says, you don't know why I was dancing. You don't know what was in my heart. Like I was worshiping my God. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hard part with today's context is um, you don't know what's in somebody's heart. You know, you don't. So to look at them and despise them sure. because of the way they're worshiping, uh-huh. I think it's you're being like Michael. Right. In all honesty. Right. Yeah. And even further, right, like Michael doesn't even ask David 
why she's like, why, why is he doing that? Yeah. Right. So she's just assuming, right? No and, benefit. And that's of the what doubt. we do. Yeah. We just we just assume it. We see we see these things. We see videos. We see pictures, and we're just assuming that without regulating or even asking the question, "Where is your heart at?" We yeah. don't even trust people enough to ask that question. And. I know this is going to sound a little charismatic because we're defending dance and we don't, because that's the thing, if somebody's dancing, I don't know if they're trying to draw in attention on themselves. And I know people say, you can't be a distraction in the church setting mm -hmm. because we're here to worship the Lord and distractions. And you know, I, I think this is a good time to bring this up, but I mean, I had somebody reach out to me when we were discussing modesty who said, I was at the altar praying, kneeling down, and I had one of the elders who was like 60 years old pull me aside and I was 14 and said, my, sh my skirt was too short and it was distracting him. <laughs> I mean, that sounds real bad. I mean, come on, you have a 60-year-old elder who can't control himself with the knees of a 14-year-old girl. Sure. Um, that scarred her, that messed her up, that made her not trust men in the church and really gave her some insecurities about her body. Um, and that was a really cool, crazy story that, that somebody sent in on when we were talking about modesty. And I feel the same way with the dancing. It's like, we don't know what's in their heart they likely aren't trying to be a distraction. What would you rather me do? Like if I'm sitting there um, stonewalled, uh -huh. but in my heart, I'm resenting the Lord because um, my son's in NICU, mm -hmm. or would you rather me be on the floor weeping, mm -hmm. crying out to God saying, why is this happening? Can you please get my son home? And being honest and transparent, you know, and, and I, people might say, well, that's not the time or place, but I disagree. I think it is the time and place because you have the the congregation around you to pray for you, to support you, to counsel you, um, and to plead with you, to intercede with you. And so really you don't know what's in the person's heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the problem with this is you see somebody dancing, you assume they have the worst of intentions rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt or asking them and saying, hey, you know what, this time what you did in this particular instance might have gone too far, was maybe a little too distracting. Yeah. Like I've never had or seen somebody do something that was just super distracting and looked super intentional, but I could think of something where maybe they run up on the platform, start doing jumping jacks and screaming, um, I love peanuts, how about you? And they're like, well, that's how I want to worship the Lord. I would probably say, no, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Sure. Right. But like, I think there's this balance of understanding, you know, that they hopefully have the right heart, the right intentions, and you can't just read that immediately. Yeah. And I want to flip it on its head and actually kind of come against maybe the charismatic ideal too, sure. because I've grown up in that same context where yeah. they talk about well, you get excited for a football game, you get excited for this, yeah. you get excited for that, yeah. why won't you get excited here? Right. And they don't know my heart, right. right? I have had moments where I'm just standing there, dwelling, right. meditating on the presence yeah. of God, meditating on his, his truth, the gospel, and in my soul, I am just like at awe, mm -hmm. and just like I am ever so present, and I'm just so aware of God's presence, and I'm, I'm in the moment wholeheartedly, but yet to the, to the person out there, it might look like, oh, well, they're, they're not raising their hands or worshiping in a charismatic way, so they're less spiritual and they're not in it. Yeah, you know, and I, I've had a conversation with one of my friends who had that feeling. He's like, this is how I worship, and it means much more to me when I can worship in this way. So to flip it on its other head, charismatics, you can't assume that somebody is not entering in because they don't look like the rest of the dancers and shouters and hand raisers. And one of the things that Rev Reem said, and we all know he's uh, charismatic and he's been on the podcast with me, but he talked about how, and I don't know if it was his or someone else's, you can ask him, but 
He talked about the worship service should look like a tree being blown by the wind, the wind being the Holy Spirit. And he said, some leaves, they're going to dance around, flap around in the wind. Other leaves, depending on where they're at and what's going on, they're going to look still and look like they're not moving. He said, you know, trees uh, and these leaves, and that's kind of just the visualization you should get, is you're going to have different things going on. You don't want no movement. You don't want exclusively movement. You want everyone to do... Um, that's how you worship with one accord. It doesn't mean we all look the same. It means our heart's in the same place. Um, and that's how we worship of the same mind, of the same accord. And that's something we pray for every Sunday at my church is that we pray of, we pray that we worship of one accord, of one mind in unity. Not that it looks the same, but that our hearts are doing the same thing. And I think that's the problem, right? We've, we've moved away from communal one heart worship and it's become critical worship. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like we're, we're no longer uh, focusing on the one. We're focusing on the ones around us when, I mean, the communal worship is, yeah, being of one accord. So I think that's important to be reminded, no matter if you're on the charismatic side or the reform side, right? That yeah. we're, we're so, it's so easy for us to be critical in this society to look at the speck, right, in someone's eye, as it says in Matthew 7, right? And then we got the beam in our own at that point, right? I mean, yep. this is coming back. This mirror is coming back on ourselves. Matthew 7, super quotable, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on for sake of time. Miriam, Exodus 15, I'll read this one. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the tr- timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances... And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. I'm sure you like this one. What What are your thoughts when you read this? Uh, I, I just like, I mean, so much destruction and devastation happened, right, <laughs> yes. to the Egyptian people like in this. And, and, you know, we can talk about that another time on how we feel about, you know, all of that. But like, <laughs> it's like... In the destruction and joy of uh, uh, or, or of that, right? There's joy that comes from it, um, as as Miriam, right? Like, but like you think about like when war happens, right? I think about that iconic picture with that that navy, um, that that na- naval off uh, naval officer, right? And he like just kisses this random girl on the street. Are you familiar with this old like forties picture, know if I am. right? And like just like leaning her over, and like as the story goes, like they didn't even know each other, right? But like war ended, and like it gets to this oh, place of like yeah. celebration, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, um, and like you know, I I mean, we were just praying earlier, right, for the conflict that's going in Ukraine, you know, yeah. and like. I mean, we all want peace, right? And we all want that in our day and the days of generation ahead, right? And and the joy that comes with peace, I think, is something that Miriam has another moment, kind of like David, right, that just kind of springs forth yeah. in that moment. And I think that's the thing. I think it should spring forth naturally because of rejoicing. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up Pentecostal, it was like, well, that's the expectation. You jump. You lift your hands. You go to the front. You go to the altar. Right. That's the expectation. Even if it wasn't in my heart, I had to do it. Right. Even if that wasn't my moment, I had to do it because that's the expectation. And you're a leader, and you've got to lead these other teenagers into worship. Right. right? Um, and you've got to do that so that other teenagers will enter into worship too. And it's like, well, worship isn't dancing. Right. Worship is bigger than that. We can't boil worship down to just jumping up and down, raising your hands and singing a song that says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we want to be deeper than that, and we have to know it's deeper than that. 
And I think my concern with this primarily would be when you create this expectation that dancing is supposed to be normative, then it never becomes something special in momentous moments. Um, mm -hmm. Because there are momentous moments. Like, there's a lot of people that might rejoice right now, and I don't, I don't want to get too political, but Planned Parenthood, if Planned Parenthood was defunded and they went out and went under, I think there's a lot of Christians that would be running around rejoicing right now because they feel like that would be a huge victory for the pro-life movement, right? And like you said, war, if a war ceased, or there's people in Ukraine right now that if everything was under a ceasefire, people would be rejoicing. Um, but if you expect dancing to be normative and weekly and every single time, it's going to become exhausting. And then it, it doesn't highlight momentous moments where you really want to do something extra spectacular for the Lord, like dance, like shout, like praise, like maybe even you're, you, you react differently and you break down to the floor and you're crying. It changes those momentous moments. And now you're like, well, how can I be even more excited I have to do something even bigger now because I always do this. So now I'm going to have to roll around, right? Holy rollers. <laughs> right. And that's, I think, where I feel guilt, right? In like the charismatic camp that I find myself maybe more than I have in the past is that that's how we kind of gauge success, right? You sure. gauge success by the hands, by the people going back and get getting prayer, right? The people like... And, and as you stated earlier, right, I mean, you could have be having the most, you know, contemplative moment, you know, in that space. And there's a justification, right, from the outside that, eh, like, you're not in it, yeah. you know. And and I, I think, you know, that's where the communal thing can get scary and, and critical based upon, like, everyone needs to look like this cookie cutter way and and it's not how that space is it, it does come up naturally and it comes up at different you know perspectives i even wonder i mean these are like people right had been in captivity for so long in that space and now they're having to outrun like this massive army of the time right and they get out successfully like i imagine not another biblical you know like <laughs> like like scriptural base thing, but like there's got to be people in this space that are exhausted. I don't think they have any interest in wanting to dance right yeah. now. Like, like, can I take a nap for a second and then I'm ready, right? Like yeah. people are not all going to be in that. Like the, the Lord created us differently. So I think we have to examine that too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we had some good conversation in that. Let's jump over to Psalm 149, Psalm 150. These are you know, some song, psalms that I think we need to highlight in this conversation. Um, you know, praise the Lord, sing the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise him with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Right? You could take that and say, okay, that's how you praise him. And I do believe praise, you know, I, I talk about praise and worship and how praise is rejoicing, and it is celebratory typically. Worship is a lifestyle of sacrifice, but praise is something along these lines. Um, and so I think that's one of those verses where you can go to this and say, okay, it is totally 100% permissible to dance while praising and rejoicing. And I think that's ultimately where we both land, is it's not only are we saying it's permissible, I think it's, it's a great thing. I think oftentimes it can be overplayed and it's losing sight of the momentous moments where, where that's really where people's hearts are. Like, 
I will admit, there's times where I pretended that's where my heart was because that's where everyone else was mm-hmm. was or maybe was pretending Looked to be. Looked like it, yeah. right? And it's like sometimes that's not where your heart is. Sometimes you're just like, you know what? No. I'm defeated. I'm broken. I'm sinning. I need prayer. I need support. I don't want to put on this face. And someone who grew up more Pentecostal, I think that is oftentimes the expectation, especially if you want to grow and be in leadership. It's like, well, you haven't really been entering into worship the same the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe we should hold back on letting you lead a Bible study. Like there are things that's those are types of things that happen, you know, when you get too carried away with this. Well, yeah, I think it even crossed my head, to, you know, earlier this week, right? I'm supposed to lead worship on Sunday, and my mind is not right, like, to start the week. I'm not in a place where I feel like, you know, I'm worthy, sure, right, sure. or whatever. <laughs> but, like, that's that's what I have to offer, right? If I come on Sunday and I'm still feeling that kind of, like, depression or kind of space where I'm feeling isolated, right? Like, I, I still bring that to the Lord as much as I'm bringing, you know, Man, Lord, I'm feeling so good today. Like, I mean, yeah. that's that's the worship that I need to give authentically. Yeah. And I think I get that. Um, and I actually think harnessing that where you're at and using it as a reminder of the cross, as a reminder of the gospel, allowing it to push you into the presence of the king, kind of a Hebrews 10 type of situation uh-huh. where you approach the throne room confidently be- because of Christ, not because of yourself. Right. Um you know, I did. I, I pulled the mic up one of these Sundays about a month ago, and I just reminded everyone, if you're here to worship because, well, God wants my worship because I'm worthy, because I used to get in that mindset too often when it's like, well, I'm not, I don't even deserve to worship right now. And I'm not talking about leading. I know leading you might have a light, slightly different perspective on. Sure. It should come from your overflow or whatever, things you want to pray through and wrestle through. But I mean, just as a typical, you know, going to church and worshiping with your church, Sometimes there's a thought process that like, oh, I'm not worthy to worship. I'm avoiding God. And so I'm going to kind of just stand here and nominally engage and kind of pretend and not really try to get too deep into it because I don't want God to convict me of where I'm at right now. And so I'm going to pretend and I'm not really worthy anyway. And and I'm like, use that moment because those will happen. Use those moments to remind yourself of the gospel, to remind yourself of Christ's forgiveness, to remind yourself of who he is, what he did, not who you are and what you've done. Remind yourself of who he is and who, what he's done and allow that to propel you to your knees, to propel you to worship and propel you back to an honest, transparent heart before the Lord. Um, we don't worship him because we're worthy. We worship him because he's worthy. Right. Right. And I think that's one of those things we have to get through. Yeah, and I mean, Psalm 156, I mean, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Like, it doesn't say let everyone that has the right mind praise the Lord, sure. right? Or yeah. like any of these other, like, things you want to fill in the blank there. Like, we're going to breathe one way or the other, right? Like, we're going to continue. And if we, we know that what Christ has done for us and we don't have to offer anything else because of that, like, all we have left is our breath, right? I mean, when we follow the Lord, like, that's going to be consistent. That's going to be a constant place. Absolutely. Um, well, with with our time, we don't have a too too much left. Uh, we do want to jump through quickly the negative experiences. Um, probably wrap up in ten minutes. Uh, but with the negative experiences, let me ask you this, Shane. I know that you gathered together a few different negative experiences for us, like the golden calf and others. So. Um, 
starting with those or whatever, however you want to do this, but let's talk about some negative examples in scriptures of dance. Yeah, well, we see it in Exodus 32. I mean, maybe one of the earlier examples, right, with the golden calf. And we actually see two distinctions of dance. When you actually look at uh, the Hebrew, right, you see the one, the example of dance with Miriam is a different word than what we see uh, for Exodus 32. And um, in that, right, like there's, there's a dancing around the idol, right, that was made. Um, and, you know, and Moses' anger becomes hot. And then, you know, he casts the tablets out, right, and goes in. Don't they even have to drink uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the cold yeah. after? He I does, mean, yeah. It, it goes Moses is mad. In that way, right? <laughs> yes. But, I mean, I no- notice it, right? Like, Joshua heard the noise of the camp. Um, and it says, there is a noise of war. Like the dancing was warlike. Yeah. I think like you've got a different kind of connection with dance or a correlation with dance there. Um, it's not the noise of a shout of victory like we see with Miriam, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear, right? And then they see that and they see them dancing around the calf. Um, you know, I mean, that that example is, is one that... Um, yeah, maybe we see it in a adulterous light. I mean, like the the examples that you know, I was reading Galatians five, right, and and listing the works of the flesh and how the flesh can manif- the flesh can manifest itself in adultery, fornic- fornication, uncleanliness, and then I love this word. I had to look it up, um, lasciviousness, and and that word like just you know sexual desire. Um, yeah, I mean, and how like that's where it did come. I mean, and that's where it was kind of headed and, and in that space. So that's definitely, I mean, a, a big example that we see with, with like the multitudes doing it. Sure. Yeah. And I think golden calf is a good charismatic example because there's a lot of sermons out there on the golden calf, the, the idol in which we worship. Um, so we have to be careful on that. And I do agree that you can dance and rejoice and shout and sing in a different type of way to a golden calf. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what else do you have? I know you've got more than that. Well, sure. Yeah, Mark 6.22, uh, the daughter of Herodias, right? Um, on the opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for the nobles and high officers and the chief men of Galilee. So he's got all the, you know, the power play. Right? Sure. It's all there. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod, and as you can probably imagine, the rest of the people there too, um, those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want. I'll give it to you. And he also swore, ask, you can ask me, I'll give you half of my kingdom. And so she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask him? And the mother wants the head of John the Baptist, right? Like just this weird family dynamic, right, that's going sure. on where, you know, Herodias's daughter, right, is is dancing for Herod. And then a lot of stuff comes, I mean, murder comes out of it. I mean, there's already... Um, sexual desire um, involved in that, and we see that kind of dancing provocatively that comes to a space of uh, ill repute. Mm-hmm. Revelations 14, I really like too. I'd, I'd listened to a podcast with this earlier in the week and how it was making a connection with um, Exodus 32, and that was really good as well. So if you, you know, go to um, verse 8 of chapter 14, uh, it says that, 
a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Other translations said the Babylonian whore or the whore yep. of Babylon, mm-hmm. right? Which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of adulteries. Um, then going further, though, I thought this was really good. The third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on its forehead or in its hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury. Like, what a what a crazy connection, right, with Moses making them drink the... Yeah. The gold, right, uh, in in this kind of substance, and then in the same way, we're seeing this in Revelations like play out. It's definitely something we're just listening to Vody Bakum, right, where yeah. he said like, you don't want worship to be in a place where it constantly gets us to a place of error that we are constantly trying to repeat, gener- or that we're trying to fix yeah. generation after generation, and 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 you see this, I think, play out really clearly from you know the beginning in Exodus to you know, what the, the final look of existence will look like in Re- Revelation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's part of the concern, I think, especially with a lot of the Reformed people will have, is history repeats itself. Errors keep coming up. False doctrines keep on coming up. And so it is even sad that a lot of, uh, you know, more contemporary style of worship, they write a song and they don't even realize it has some false teaching undertones from the past. Yeah. Right? That's why history is important. So in conclusion, what I'll say is this. I think we've got to conclude for sake of time. But in conclusion, what I'll say is this. Uh, we, we ultimately want to be more balanced. Uh, that, I think that's the whole heart of what Shane and I are communicating. And I love that Shane emphasized we want communal worship, not critical worship. And this is a heart issue. Ultimately, we don't know your heart. You don't know their heart. So make sure you're focused on your heart, how you're worshiping the Lord, and be willing to rejoice in seasons of rejoicing, weep in seasons of weeping, like a, you know, like Ecclesiastes would have you. And make sure ultimately that you are worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth in your personal life and that um, you're not critical of others, right? I think that's where I'd end. Shane, do you have anything to end with? As we continue to worship, you know, let us focus on, you know, what what we can give to the Lord. You know, I think like that needs to be um, a priority and continue to, yeah, look at the examples in Scripture and, and back up um, our belief by having conversations with people instead of just assuming, I think is really important. Good. Cool. Well, we are out of time. So until the next time, as always, think on it.